Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Okay, good morning. I made it. We are live here. Good morning, everyone. It is a another toasty morning. I get up now and <laughs> I run over to the fan and grab my coffee. It's 84 degrees here, 9 o'clock in the morning. Clouds are over, though. That's a nice a little change. So today we are continuing Ecclesiastes. And we get one dad joke today because it's right here on the uh, webpage for this day in trivia, June 29th. Here we go. Why were the salmon's feelings hurt? So sad. The reason? Because his friends only did nice things for the halibut. Wish <laughs> you could pronounce, mispronounce halibut and kind of get the gist of the idea, I guess. All right, this is a lot went on on this day. On this day, the Feast of St. Peter and Paul is commemorated by the Catholic Church, commemorating their martyrdom. So how, why they picked this day? No say. Nothing in history that we know of, that at least that I know of anyway, points to this day. So there's three different things concerning famous actors. Just goes to show you that fame is fleeting, and what's important is... <laughs> is eternity in your relationship with God, because you never know. Hogan's Heroes, Bob Crane, who we all watched growing up, Hogan's Heroes, such a nice guy on TV. He was found murdered in his apartment in 1978, June 29th. He had been bludgeoned to death, an electrical cord tied around his neck. They think it was related to his friend. His name was John Henry Carpenter, but there was no DNA testing back in 78, and they tried to pin it on him again in 1994, had more evidence, but he was acquitted and maintained his innocence till his death. So nobody was ever convicted of that. Then Jane Mansfield was killed in a car accident in 1967 prior to that, when her car, she was 34, ran underneath a slow-moving tractor trailer. And uh, the top of the car was ripped off, and she and two other people were killed instantly. And the uh, the highway safety, or I guess the um, industry for tractor trailers, after that put a bar below the tractor trailer. It became known as the Mansfield Bar to prevent cars from going underneath the tractor trailer and ripping the top off. So all those tractor trailers have that little bar that sticks down. The Vietnam War on this day, 1965, the first major round offensive of 1965 begins. You have 3,000 troops Attacked 20 miles northeast of Saigon. And Marilyn Monroe marries Arthur Miller. He was pretty normal-looking guy, Jewish guy, I believe. And she divorced him five years later. And then she would die 18 months after that. So, you know, it's all fleeting. It's all vanity. As, by the way, since we're reading that, all is vanity and chasing after the wind as we are finding ourselves now in the book of Ecclesiastes. So let's pray and look into that. Thank you, Father, for this morning. And we do pray you would guide us as we look into these truths in your word and realize how, how temporal our lives are and how important it is to know you. 
that is more important than any amount of gold, any amount of fame that we can ever attain in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we go, Ecclesiastes 4 through 6, the evils of oppression. Then I looked again at all the acts of the oppression which were done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed, that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. So I congratulated the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still living. But better off than both of them is the one who has never existed, who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. I have seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of a rivalry between a man and his neighbor. This too is vanity and striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. One handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. Then I looked again at vanity under the sun. There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother, yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed, his eyes were not satisfied with the riches, and he never asked, And for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity, and it is a grievous task. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. But if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together to keep warm, how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. The cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. The poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. For he has come out of prison to become king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. I have seen all the living under the sun throng to the side of the second lad who replaces him. There is no end to all the people, to all who were before them, and even to the ones who will come later, will not be happy with him, for this too is vanity and striving after the wind. Chapter 5. Your Attitude Towards God is the title. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God to draw near, to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you owe. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the works of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. If you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at that sight. 
for one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. Verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment, and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. Here is what I've seen to be good and fitting to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor, in which he toils under the sun during a few years of his life, which God has given him. For this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Chapter 6. This is an evil which I have seen under the sun. It is prevalent among men, a man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God has not empowered him to eat from them. For a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and severe affliction. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things, and he does not even have a proper burial, then I say better the miscarriage than he, for it comes in futility and goes into obscurity, and its name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun, and it never knows anything. It is better off than he. Even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to one place. All a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have knowing how to walk before the living? What the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. This too is futility and striving after the wind. Whatever exists has already been named and is known what man is. For he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is. There are many words which increase futility. What then is the advantage to a man? For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life? He will spend them like a shadow. For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? So we have some very strange sayings here. 
very strange indeed because on the one hand, it really sounds like what Solomon is saying is life is pointless. Why bother? Uh, you're better off to just get drunk and eat and drink and die and enjoy your life. What he's doing is he's observing life from the standpoint of a person that has no relationship with God. For sure, he's he's using that logic. If there is no God, if evolution is the only thing and the only reason why we're here, then what's the point? And now that's very true. There is no point. Whether you work hard or you sit back and you don't do anything, the result is going to be the same. You're going to die just like the other person. And if you worked and worked and worked and, and did all your labor, and yet you can't really fully enjoy it because your eyes always wanting more, you're always desiring more, and you're never satisfied. It's better you're just born, stillborn. And so there's really no point. But whenever he starts considering God, you know that he doesn't say, he never says when you're considering God that life is pointless. He starts slowly pointing to the fact that there is fulfillment in coming before God. There is something as you consider your days and you're coming before God. There is meaning. And what he's doing is this is developing, okay? Each chapter is not to be taken separately, and this is his whole view of life. He's working through a mental process and processing this, as we all do, especially when you're young and you go, why am I here? What's the point? And, and he is, but he's acknowledging the reality of God. And we'll see how this develops as we go through the rest of the book now. Acts chapter 9 and verse 23. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But the disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. Verse 32. Now, as Peter was traveling through all the region, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. And they found a man named Ananias, who had been beridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up, and all who lived in Lydda, and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in the upper room. 
since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and the garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known over all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Peter was the one who denied Jesus. Remember, and he went away, and he wept. And Peter felt like a total failure, more than all the other apostles, is my guess. And thought, how could God ever use me again? I have denied him three times. And Jesus had to pull him aside and, and broke his heart again, and he was weeping because Jesus had to ask him three times, do you love me, Peter? Peter's like, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. And he felt like, why is he doing this? He knows that I failed him. And you can imagine how Peter was just completely destroyed inside after seeing his betrayal and leaving the Lord and when he was on the cross when he needed him the most. And this is so encouraging because now God says, because of your brokenness and your humility, Peter, I can use the broken. I can use those who have made great errors and, and have sinned against me, have denied me, yet what, I'm, what Jesus is always looking for is sincerity and a real heart, a real repentance, a real brokenness before him. And as he does that, now Peter is used to do what? More than he ever did before, really. Before he really had that moment of breaking. Yeah, he was used greatly while Jesus was alive. But now this is different. Now there's this whole new dynamic to his life that he sees people and has compassion on them like Jesus did. He sees the lame man at the temple, and he, and he just says, man, I don't have anything to give you, but I, I have Jesus. Here, I'll give him to you. Jesus heals him. And then we have the same. goes in, and you see this other uh, lame person heals them and lit on, and he is healed. And every time we see hundreds, it seems, many multitudes come to know the Lord. And now this young girl brought back to life, and don't you know Peter was not like these prosperity healers on TV, running around just trying to kind of soak up the glory, you know, and, and promote themselves. I imagine he was emptied of himself and was rejoicing more than anybody else that Jesus had healed her. Just praying, say, God, it's in your power, your hands, heal her. And so she's raised up. And again, we mentioned this last night in the teaching that, that everything in the Old Testament, there was many resurrections, so to speak, correctly stated reanimations, um, to point to what Jesus wanted to do. All the resurrections of the New Testament are all signs to the church that this is who we are. We are a body of believers that are going on into eternity as resurrected. Humans, glorified, <laughs> say superhumans. Uh, and, and this was what was being done by the power of Jesus in his name for his glory. And this is who we follow, a resurrected Savior. It's, it's so exciting, dynamic to, 
to keep that before us all the time. And Jesus, in the in the beginning of the church, the very beginning of the church, says, "Remember, it's trust in me, and I can bring the dead to life. You're dead in your sins and your trespasses. You believe in me, I will raise you up to new life." And there, Tabitha here is a a a, a physical example of that. Charles Spurgeon, now call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Jeremiah 33, 3. God encourages us to pray. They tell us that prayer is a pious exercise which has no influence except upon the mind engaged in it. We know better. Our experience gives the lie a thousand times over to this infidel assertion. Here, Jehovah, the living God, distinctly promises to answer the prayer of his servant. Let us call upon him again and admit no doubt upon the question of his hearing us and answering us. He that made the ear, shall he not hear? And he that gave parents a love to their children? Will he not listen to the cries of his own sons and daughters? God will answer his pleading people in their anguish. He has wonders in store for them. What they have never seen, heard of, or dreamed of, he will do for them. He will invent new blessings if needful. He will ransack sea and land to feed them. He will send every angel out of heaven to succor them if their distress requires it. He will astound us with his grace and make us feel that it was never before done in this fashion. All he asks of us is that we will call upon him. He cannot ask less of us. Let us cheerfully render him our prayers at once. And this is a good description of what happened with Peter when he called out in his anguish and his pain after he denied the Lord. And God heard him and brought blessing upon blessing. In fact, he orchestrated it a special time to spend with him alone. And then, of course, we see that he, he brings him to shore. He calls him and he has breakfast with him, fellowship with him. And now he calls Peter to go out in his name. We're useful in the hands of the Lord no matter what stage of life we come in to him or come to him in. And we are also blessed beyond measure as we come to him humbly and come to him with our hearts fully surrendered and waiting and expectantly for what he wants to do in blessing us. What a great joy that is for this morning. Well, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the blessing. We thank you for the encouragement, for the devotion, and knowing that you can go out of your way many times and invent new ways of blessing, new things that you want to bring into our sphere. All you require of us is genuineness. As a father, a mother, requires that of their son or daughter, that they would love them truly and not not in a fake or mechanical way, but just a real love. And it's amazing that parents often will love their kids regardless of the return. But oh, how much sweeter and how much greater the blessings that flow when we love them back. So thank you. Father, that your love is never-ending. It's always there. You never withdraw it, as we saw last night even, that you still cared for Israel, even in their apostasy and in their 
spiritual adultery and the way they they left, the way they robbed the temple and stole the gold and did all these horrendous things, and yet you still held out a soft spot. You still would go and provide them a deliverer when they would cry out to you in, in, in honesty and cry out repenting. So, God, we, we do pray that we would be responding to what we know you are trying to do with us to communicate, to show us that you want to bless us, use us, or work through us. And we cry out to you, God, in humble hearts, saying thank you for your love. Use us. Show us, God, how we can love you greater, how we can be better servants and children. And God, we simply call out to you to work through us as you did through Peter, work through us to touch lives around us and be sensitive to what you might want to do through us, whether you want to use for healing physically, emotionally, spending time with people just to let them understand the greatness of your love and the power of resurrection. So God, we want to yield our lives over to you for that purpose today. And as you continue to make us more and more into your image. And we do have various people going through very difficult times. I want to pray for the Skoogs as they have to deal with some court issues and some people dealing with the state. God, we pray that works out really well for them. And same with the Olds in Santa Fe who have some, again, some goofy stuff going on with people in their life. And God, they just need your guidance, your wisdom, and your grace on some people trying to do some very unjust and and, uh, really devious things in their life. We don't know if it's going to end up in court or not, but God, we just pray you make this all go away for them and give them rest and give them peace in their life. And we pray for the continual healing of Hank and those that are in within treatments. We have Maria Elena down here, and we have some other people that have the chronic pain medication and, and things they have to go through on a daily basis because of past injuries, God, we pray that you would bring those your healing touch to them and use whatever means, God, to bring them into full healing so that they can uh, have rest and be able to sleep at night. We have a young guy in, or 30-year-old-ish in the um, Philippines who's not able to sleep and his mother's asking for prayer that he'd be able to sleep but we know, God, if, if we're far away from you and we're rebelling, we shouldn't be able to sleep. So we really pray for salvation because his, his problem is spiritual, not physical. So we pray for that. We pray for the castor lines as their daughters are improving slowly, but they have the bacterial infection in their brains, which causes them the inability to think, really, to be able to have real conversation or to speak well. So we pray that you would... Take care of the Lyme disease, the Bartonella, and all the other things that have been affecting their bodies. And completely clean that out, God, so these young, beautiful girls can get back to their, their life. We pray for all their needs. We pray for their uh, for help, God, for this family at that very, very difficult time in their life. And anyone else that's dealing with any um, chronic issues, Kevin and Lee, where they are in Lake Chapala, God, we're praying that they're all healed up and that everything's going well with them. Thank you for Jolene and her healing of her neck. We pray for Mary in the States who had her hearing implant and, every, and uh, her operation. Pray that that healed up good. So many people with um, many, many different types of operations. God, we just pray that they are all healing. 
Thank you for making us a body strong. Maybe not always in the flesh, but strong in spirit and strong in love. So we give you thanks for this beautiful day. In Jesus' name, amen. That will do it for us this morning. Thank you, guys. Renee just sent a letter for Renee's brother's wife, who is grieving. She just lost her husband. He's Andrew. was a great guy, pastor in Silver City. So let's just pray for Edna. And we do need to keep remembering her. Father, we do want to thank you for Edna, who loves you passionately, who has given her life to service for you with her husband, uh, serving constantly in the church day and night, always with a smile, always a positive attitude. So bless her abundantly, God, as she's dealing with this and her heart's broken for her love. And we pray that somehow we can bring encouragement when we see her but she knows where her husband is. We also pray for Trudy Walden, whose father just died, who also needs, obviously, a lot of comfort in her family, a lot of comfort as well, God. So thank you for that. And we just pray that you supply the church in Silver City with another pastor to take over Andrew's place. And, uh, and then also for another pastor that just passed away, apparently, that John and Pam are passing on to us that uh, agape knew. So we pray there. There's there's a lot of people you're taking home, God. And it's probably for their, I, I would say it's for their rejoicing as they're together all before your throne. And we thank you before us, God, who left behind so many family and friends are missing them. And so we pray for that this be a strong, a strong opportunity for ministry for all that's going on there. So we pray for, for what you'll do in Silver City when we're there and for all the people that are going through these very difficult times. And a special prayer for the help of the students in Zimbabwe from our friend Agape, who comes from there, who's asking special help for for them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that'll do it now. And we will be back with you tomorrow to go into the mission today. Renee and I leave on Sunday right after church for New Mexico to fly up there for a week. So I will give it my best shot to do some live manna for breakfast when we're up there. But as always, when we're traveling, it can be difficult. So we'll just play it by ear. I'll try and and get out a couple tomorrow so we're covered for Sunday. But we'll just see how it goes. And just ask you to keep reading. If I'm not on live, just keep reading or check the, the audio podcast. We'll always give it our best shot to get that out as well. So with that being said, God bless you. Have a wonderful wonderful day. Bye-bye.